0: Well, it's a great privilege and joy to gather together, to sing together, to encourage one another, to hear what God's doing in and amongst our church family. Um, you know, I'm so grateful for Bay Area chaplains and everything that John Klobuchar is doing with them and, and just the way even um, Harold Albert was you know, the founder of that and a dear part of our church family for many years. Dorothy still is. And, and, uh, and so this is, it's, it's exciting to see what God's doing. And by the way, if you want to be involved in, in those things, you know, let talk to John. Let him know. Just say, hey, what can I do? There's tons of stuff that has to happen. Everything from grading. Inmates are doing different projects. They're, they're writing different papers and responses. We need graders for that. Uh, you can talk to John about that. There might even be a way that you can go in and lead one of those programs um, so just, just be sure to take part in that another thing that's been going on as you know and, and Eric referenced it before but out there in the Ed Wing we've got some progress going there on some of the changes I, from my, what I understand 14 people showed up yesterday and started bashing down yeah praise God that's good that's good that's exciting um, tearing down walls you, know, you, you might actually like demo you know you know what I'm saying? I mean, just right now, just you got the sledgehammer in your hand. Just you can feel it, right? You can feel it just like swing, swing hard. You know? So if that's you, talk uh, to Paul Delancey. There's a table there in, in the foyer area and just sign up because I, my understanding is come this Saturday 9 a.m., they're doing more. And so uh, you can consider it your workout for the week. You know, you can, you can uh, take part in that, but we're, we're thrilled to be able to just see some progress in terms of updating our campus and, and we're excited about that. So, you know, in, in life, I think it's a fascinating thing to consider how often we miss the main thing. You know, we do it. It happens in different situations. And I was talking to a friend and he, sh- he, he shared something with me. Back in 1999, coming off a back-to-back two, to nine, two and nine seasons um, and a loss in their season opener to Boston College, Baylor football was essentially 20 seconds away. From a victory. We have some Baylorites here. Sorry, this isn't going to go well for you, man. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, they were 20 seconds away from a rare victory and their new head coach, Kevin Steele's first victory. And so they were on the eight yard line. They had a, a, a UNLV and they were holding on to a 24 21 lead. All Baylor had to do was kneel down. That's it. That's all they had to do. And they'd win the game. But what happened? Coach Steele wanted to score a touchdown. So rather than calling that, what did he do? He called a run. And so what happens? Well, running back Daryl Bush took the handoff. He headed up the field. He was met by the UNLV linebacker, Tyler Brickell. The ball popped loose. And Kevin Thomas picked it up for UNLV and ran it all the way back down the field for a touchdown. As time ran out, that was it. And what happened there? Well. happened the key is not stats, running another play. What, the key is win the game. That's it. That's all it is. And as much as we can sit here and go, yeah, you know, and by the way, that's why I watch football. Sometimes it's just so I can sit there and go, you know. I'm sitting in my easy chair. These large human beings are running into each other. and it's, uh, I've got, a, you know, a, a San Pellegrino in my hand. <laughs> you know, whatever. So, um, but, but, um yeah, there, there's, there's a way in which we lose sight of the main thing. And and, and it, it happens all the time. You know, it happens in, in the business world. There was a time decades ago, maybe you'll recall, GM, you know, they make cars, right? You know what they really were, though? They, they, because of the pensions, they actually became a pension company because of the um, uh, enormous amount of money. They were, sp- they were spending more money on that than they were on making cars. They lost sight of the main thing. They, they were a pension company that happened to make cars, right? Um, but then it happens in our lives as well, doesn't it? You ever lose sight of the main thing in your life? I mean, it happens, right? Maybe maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's with a, a friendship. Uh, I think for a lot of us, a lot of times when we lose sight of the main thing, it's some sort of inversion where we become centered on us. Somehow the situation or occasion becomes all about me. And so I interact with others that I'm called to love in ways that are unloving. It happens in churches too. In in Corinth, there were all kinds of false criteria for true spirituality happening there in the first century. You were really spiritual, as we've been going through the first Corinthians, we've seen this. You're really spiritual if you're a follower of this particular teacher. You know, I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. If you listen to this teacher, then you're really spiritual. And if you don't, well, then you're not in the know. And then for others, it was your circumstances. You know, some, some were saying, well, if I, they, they, were, they were married and they were going, if I could be just single, I could be really spiritual. And other people who were single were saying, well, if I could be married, then I could be really spiritual. And, and then they got into this other area of gifts. As different gifts have been given to the body of Christ, different people given different gifts by God. Some were saying, well, if you have this gift, then you're really spiritual. And this gift, eh, nah, not so much. It seems they were particularly uh, focused in on and exalting the gift of tongues. And so we spent several weeks just unpacking what Paul has to say about the spiritual gifts. But, but, but then, we, you know, Paul is, is in the process now of bringing them back to what is the main thing? What is the main thing? And as, and as he talks about the varieties of spiritual gifts, eventually he brings them down to this bottom line, main thing, main thing of the Christian life. And he calls us all to understand what that is. And that main thing is love. Now, maybe you're here today and you've you've never even considered some of the things of of the Lord Jesus or the Bible and and you're thinking, love, well, that's that's cutesy, that's uh, that's pink and fuzzy and like, yeah, great. But so what? That's not what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about love. There's way more to it. There's a depth to it. There, there's a breadth to it. There's, it's anchored in things that are eternal. And so Paul is going to describe that for us here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, and actually, the, the last portion of chapter 12 kicks that off. And so if you go ahead and turn there or open there, you'll find it on the, uh, on the Bible in the chair rack in front of you as well. And... Uh, In honor of God's word, would you please stand and follow along as I read? We'll pick it up with chapter 12, verse 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love... I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. For where there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, we we ask that you would, in this time that we are gathered, cause us to grow. Certainly as we even read a passage like this, we, we uh, see how far we are from the main thing so often. And we confess that to you and we ask that by your spirit right now that you would take the words that you've penned and that you would change us from the inside. Lord, bring conviction where it's needed. Bring comfort where it's needed. Bring strength where it's needed be glorified in what you do among us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. The risen king, the one who is love, the one who showed us specifically what that is and the way he came down to rescue sinners like us. So we praise you and thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have your seat. So last week as we embarked upon all this, we... We kicked off by seeing that love is the beyond anything excellent way. That's what Paul says. He's talking about all these gifts that we've been given. And he's praising God for that. And he's showing how each of us has something that God's given to us. Maybe one gift, maybe two, maybe more. And we're called to serve him and glorify him and build up the body of Christ by using that. And yet, now he says, but all this controversy over gifts, all this prioritizing of the gift of tongues above everything else. And he's saying the main thing is something else There's a more excellent way And, and we talked about how that word really is Kind of like the idea of, you know, if you launch a rocket It's going to pass, you know, where planes Move around, it's going to pass through The, you know, various layers of atmosphere It's going to go into outer space and then beyond And that's the idea of This more excellent way And then we saw Also, first of all, that, you know How is this love the, the Beyond anything excellent way And we first we saw that Love is essential. And, and in verses one through three, uh, Paul talked about how I could have all these different ways in which I am being used by God. I am gifted. Everything from, from speaking in, in every possible known language to mankind uh, to um, prophecy and revealing mysteries and knowledge. And, and I could have faith that would move mountains. And he's just talking about just immense uses of, of, of gifting from God. And then he goes on to verse 3. If I gave everything I have to feed the poor, all of it. If I gave my body to be burned, and he goes on and lists these things out. And yet, ultimately, if I do it without love, so what? It doesn't matter. And we saw last week that you know, the reason for that was because, first of all, as much as they're boasting of these gifts of the Spirit here in Corinth, he's saying the love and the work of the Holy Spirit are intimately connected. If you are filled with the Spirit, if the Spirit of God is actually at work in you, one of the clearest ways that's gonna be shown is love, not gifting. And we, we saw how even in... in uh, in Galatians 5, the fruit of, fruit of the Spirit is listed. One, one singular fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first element of that? Love. The other thing we saw in terms of love being essential is, is not only is it connected to the work of the Holy Spirit so intimately, but also it's the authenticating mark of a true follower of Jesus. How do we know that? Because Jesus said that. Jesus told us that. That's how they're going to know you're my followers. If you love one another. So we we saw that love is the beyond anything excellent way, not only because love is essential, but then we also saw it's because love is fruitful. And we kind of began looking at this a little bit last week. We saw how love was patient, Uh, it's the opposite of short tempered, it has the idea of being long fused. And if you were here with us, you recall, we looked at different, you know, ways in which that works out. Because oftentimes, I don't know about you, but what I would typically say is, yeah, well, if you live with the people I live with or work with the people I work with or had to deal with the people I had to deal with, guess what? You'd have a little patience also. But we're not giving that out here. Why? Well, first of all, this concept is used of God, constantly. Second Peter talks about how the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is what? Patient towards you. There it is. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's patient. We're emulating him when we enact this kind of love. And we also saw how it's a present active verb, meaning it's ongoing. It's not enough to be just, you know, one time. I, mean, I was patient then. Come on. That counts. Well, the p- p- picture here is, is, and by the way, certainly praise God that you were patient. That does, that's great. But we're talking about an ongoing pattern of life. We're talking about living in this way, in a continuing way. Because again, that's what God's like. And then kindness is the same, is, is, a, is a similar idea. Uh, uh, kindness is, is the giving of mercy towards someone who doesn't deserve it. So uh, that was last week. Now Paul moves to get a little more specific about how this patient, kind love works, and we're going to see more h- of the, how, how love is fruitful. Um, and so really I'd like to just ask that, that question. How is love fruitful? And, and he's going to go on here using f- five negatives, and he kind of puts you know this, this kind of emphatic, it's not this, love is not this. And if we were to kind of break it down and, and look at it, it's very interesting because it seems like the first section he's talking about what happens within us, how love overcomes things inside of us, and then then he'll move to how love overcomes things from outside of us that are coming against us, and then and then lastly he'll 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 unpack how love deals with us, looking at everything all around our our, our entire life. So so we would find this first and this this you know this unique love, this over and above all kinds of things love, uh, we find, number one, it, it overcomes our inner idols. And we see that in the second half of verse four into the first half of verse five. Look what it says. Love does, is not jealous. Uh, and that's the idea of, of envy. That's the idea of you know, looking at someone else and going, why, why do they have that and I don't? And, and we find that... Uh, you know, as much as we would say, wow, that's right, yeah, I love it and jealous, we shouldn't be jealous. Um, if we're honest, how often are we jealous? Oh, really, it's just me. Yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, lying's a sin too, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, we, we struggle with this, if we're honest. I mean, it's been a serious problem ever since the fall. Uh, uh, think about this, you know, the very first murder was committed. Why? Because of jealousy. Remember Cain and Abel. And and Cain took the life of his brother Abel because he was jealous of the way in which his, his, um, what what he gave God in worship was received by God. But we we see it throughout the Old Testament. You know, Joseph's brothers were jealous against him. That's why they they, they sold him into slavery. Uh, We can see between uh, Rachel and Leah, right? There was jealousy between both of them. We can see the life of Saul as David was, was this, king, he was on the, on the rise in the kingdom and people were, uh, you know, calling attention to him and Saul, you know, went into this tailspin of, of jealous rage. And, and it happens today too. Uh, uh, someone was sharing with me this week that, that in the NFL, uh, all the salaries are, are posted. It's a kind of a union thing. The union wants everybody to know what everybody's making, I guess. But by the, by the players, that day is known as NFL Bitterness Day. <laughs> you know? Because, what? They're getting that and I'm only getting this? And, and the truth is, we, we, we live in a world that kind of establishes and, and, and codifies value with a number of some kind, right? So, you know, in, in our heads, we have these numbers, you know? It's, 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 it's kind of like a mindset, even. Um, everything from, you know, uh, what's your GPA? What's your ACT score? Or, or what do you make per year? Or how big is your house? Or, or what iPhone are you on? Well, I've got a 14 Pro. Oh, I've got an 8. Right? And it's all, all this comparison is happening all the time. And and really what this is, this is the false economy of comparison. And, And Jesus comes, and what does Jesus do? He turns all that upside down. He flips it over. He flips it. And he says, Jesus comes and goes down into things that are beneath him. And then he, he, he comes and rescues those who don't deserve it. And, and then he, he calls us to not live for this false economy of comparison because we're in him. And then as he does this great reversal and, and becomes the least to serve and becomes the greatest as he empties himself, as he extends himself, um, it's totally countercultural. And if we were to live that way, we would stand out, we would look different. When we serve one another, we, we, we're, we're, we're leaving behind that, that false criteria or the false economy of comparison. You know, when we, when we um, exalt Christ by sharing the love that he's given us because we are first loved, right? That's what we're told in 1 John. We love because he first loved us. So in that place, because of the name of every name, because of Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth, he came down and suffered humiliation. He allowed himself to, to have his life taken. He was wrecked, really, for us. He, he called us. He saved us. He redeemed us. He set us apart. He empowers us by his spirit to live a radical, loving life. It, it looks upside down to the world, and yet it's actually the only way to live right side up. And so, yeah, love frees us. His love frees us from jealousy. It doesn't mean we don't feel the pain of what God has blessed us with and what he has not blessed us with. That's not the point. The point is, what do we do with that as we see it and sense it? And do we go back to Christ, rest in him, trust him? But Paul goes on to describe this. Not only does it not, is it not jealous, but this kind of love, this, this exceedingly wonderful way of love, it doesn't brag, it doesn't boast. Um, really, the, 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 the word has kind of like this idea of being a windbag. <laughs> so you're kind of, even as pride is to be puffed up, well, bragging is taking the air that you puffed up with and blowing it out. Look at me. Love doesn't do that. Uh, Love love doesn't live that way because really love is seeing God for who he really is and seeing us for who we really are and living in light of that. So when we really see who God is and we really see who we are and when we see his grace, it changes us. So these are some of the inner idols that, that love overcomes. But secondly, we would also see that love doesn't just... Overcome our inner idols, it also overcomes when others sin against us. That's the from without idea. So notice what it says in the next part of verse 5. It says, it does not take into, it's not provoked. Um, and the idea of being provoked there is, is, is to make sharp, right? To sharpen something. And we see that, uh, you know, if you're irritated, what has happened, someone has sharpened you because <laughs> you're ready to get them because you're irritated. So it has the idea of being roused to anger. And so the picture here would be uh, that, that there is a way in which um, love does not live in a touchy way, I guess we would say. And and that is a uh, a way in which we find ourselves easily falling into things all the time. Um, why? Well, because sometimes people just rub us the wrong way. Right? We're irritated. Sometimes it's uh, as simple as a, an annoying habit someone might have. Uh, sometimes it's worse than that. Sometimes there's been conflict you've had with someone and it has not been dealt with in a biblical way. And, uh, and that is something that we, you know, again That being provoked It, it really comes back to that, that element of arrogance That leads to the other things that come from that And um, But no, instead, love, love, love doesn't do that And loved also, in light of that, does not take into account a wrong suffered. And and by the way, that that is something that we do very easily. Kind of keeping records. That that term comes uh, from the idea of having a ledger and you're writing something in it. So uh, the accounting of the first century had this term to to log what was going on. And we do the same thing in bookkeeping today. Uh, I don't understand it, but bookkeeping people do, and it's great. We're grateful for those folks. But you keep track of what's happening. So this idea of keeping records. account of a wrong suffered is someone wronged you and you're like, oh, yeah, you wronged me. It's right there. Never gonna forget that. Oh, you just did it again. Wow, that's number two for you. And there's that attitude of, you did this against me. I mean, you can do it to other people, but you did it against me is the picture. Um, Now, love doesn't do that. Uh, Love does not keep accounts it doesn't hold on to that. Love doesn't hold a grudge, is the idea. And it uh, doesn't harbor that that kind of sense of, of of injury. And And that's a very different way to live if we were to really live like that. Uh, it's very freeing. And, and I think that, again, it, it, it's all connected to what, what Paul's described earlier. Uh, really, ultimately, it's it's that arrogance that actually leads to The other things he lists afterward that leads to us being provoked, that leads to us holding on to the wrong suffered. But when we really see what Christ has done, and when that transforms us from the inside out, um, that's when we okay, my pad's talking to me. Sorry about that. I don't know what that was. Pretty soon Siri's gonna want to preach the message for me. And you know what? It might be better going to be terrible. (laughs) Anyway. Um, Yeah. So, so love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Uh, And then in verse six, we see again, as, as we're dealing with the, the outside of us, people sinning against us and how love overcomes that. Uh, It also, you'll notice, does not rejoice in verse six in unrighteousness. And, and, and let's face it, that, that is something we do very easily. We have a way of, uh, and it's even human nature in some ways, to, to actually take some sort of enjoyment in the misfortunes of other people. I mean, we have an entire industry based on that, right? I mean, how many, what, what is the news industry for the most part? When it comes to the human interest stories? I mean, thankfully, some of them now have been more like, "Hey, we should talk about good things that have been happening to people." I've kind of I've enjoyed that, but that's not been the trend. The trend is let's let's look at uh, people fall, and, and I think a lot of times the, the reason for that is because it makes people who watch that feel better. Like, well, look at that. So the tragedy of life, the people who lose things, whether it be uh, the, their their financial well being or their careers. Or, or something happens in their lives. We, 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 it's almost like people just want to make the popcorn and sit down and watch the lives of other people fall apart. But love doesn't do that. I think one other sin that's related to this one of, of rejoicing and unrighteousness uh, is the sin of gossip, right? Because oftentimes that's what gossip is. It's like, did you hear about... Right? Typically, it's something bad that's happened in someone else's life, and we're going we're gonna to chat about it. And as we've mentioned before, I mean, oftentimes in, in Christian circles, it's, you know, we need to pray about something. No, that's gossip, okay? <laughs> gossip is the idea of trying to uh, discredit or bring someone down in the eyes of other people. And... Uh, It's, it's, it, it, by the way, it might be true or false. Some people say, well, it's not gossip because it's true. No, gossip can be true. That's not the criteria. If it's not true, that's slander. That's different. That's also a sin. But these things come out, I think, of, of this desire to rejoice in unrighteousness. Um, so uh, in contrast with that, it rejoices, love, this real love rejoices with the truth. And, that, and that, that is something where love rejoices in the truth. Now, the truth here would be, with the way it's set up here in this passage, the truth of the gospel. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. The, the, the beauty of the fact that God came to rescue sinners. That Jesus emptied uh, himself, took on the, 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 the form of, of a man, so he took to himself a human nature. He lived life in a broken world like this. He came down to save us. He died. He rose again. And he now is triumphant over all. That's the gospel. And all who trust in Jesus are given a gift. It's the gift of eternal life. It, it's, it's the forgiveness of sins. It's, they're given... The righteousness that they did not earn, that they did not bring about. They're given this righteousness that comes from Jesus as Jesus took their unrighteousness on himself and paid the price in their place. And that gift is available to everyone who hears this right now. And maybe you've never come to the place of trusting in him. Today could be that day that you would turn to Jesus, believing that he will rescue, that he will save But for for those of us who come to that place, we need to continue to rejoice in the truth. And and that's something that we see uh, throughout the pages of Scripture. Um, Love rejoices in the truth of God. Love rejoices in the truth of the gospel. And love wants to see that truth have an impact on the lives of others. And it's interesting There's a connection here. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So the idea would be when we see others in that place of falling, perhaps we see others experiencing calamity, misfortune, rather than delighting in that and rather going, yeah, that's right, they deserve it. It's no, I want to be there and bring the life-saving truth of the gospel into that person's life. I don't want to stand on the side. Make popcorn, chomp on it, and go, look at this. You know, they're just falling off the cliff and they deserve it. Uh uh. I want to be there at the bottom, ready to catch them with the truth of the gospel. Or better yet, be at the top of the cliff and say, hey, don't go that way. But the point is loving, gracious involvement rather than distant, judgmental, kind of snooty looking down on them and saying, psh, that's right. That's not love. That's not what God's like with us. We would dare not ever want to be that way with others. So love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So love overcomes our inner idols. Love overcomes when others sin against us. And then Paul kind of crescendos into this joyful conclusion with love overcomes absolutely everything. There are times when I think Paul just bursts into song. We see that in several places. This is one of those passages. Look at what he says. What does it do verse 7? Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Just think, you know, the res- All things, all things, all things resounding over and over and over again. What does all things mean? Well, when you study the Greek, it means all things. I mean, all things, everything. This is Paul's way of, of saying love overcomes every age, every era, every situation and circumstance for all time and eternity. It means whatever you're facing. It means whatever season we're in. Now, he kind of has in this crescendo some specific notes he hits. The first thing is love bears all things. That really means that love always protects the idea of covering or, or, or putting someone in a place of safety. Um, love always believes. What does that mean? Well, that really means that, that, that love sees the best in others. Love sees the best. Uh, doesn't mean love's gullible. It <laughs> doesn't mean love's like, okay, whatever you say, but it does mean that the disposition of a loving person is to believe the best in others. Uh, there's a songwriter, uh, Carol Ahrens, and she uh, she was sharing a personal story about how easily we can begin to view friends as enemies, especially when we feel shame or guilt about something and so she uh, she was searching for a laptop on eBay and uh and apparently she went there and she found this, you know, really, 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 really good deal. And so her musical colleague, Spencer, was talking to her and I'm like, you know, be careful. You might not want to buy it because if something looks too good be, to be true, guess what? It might be too good to be true. And so, you know, she's like, of course. And she assured him, you know, and she's a little annoyed. Like, look, I wasn't born yesterday. Okay, I get it. And so she sent the the seller $1,300 for uh, this laptop. And in a sickening moment, she found out she had fallen prey to a scam. Because the person's reviews were great. They were great. That's what she said. Look, all these great reviews, they got to be great. Yeah, well, that person's ID and profile had been hijacked by a hacker. So they were coming in with the ID of someone who had great reviews, when in fact, it was a scammer. She goes on to say, I felt like a fool. I didn't want to tell Spencer. The next time I saw his number on my caller ID, I didn't answer. She was like, I I could just imagine his, I told you so. And then she says, soon I was avoiding Spencer completely and I started to resent him. Why did he have to be so judgmental? Why couldn't he be on my side? Why was I ever friends with this kind of person? Eventually, she, she goes, we had to fly together to perform a concert. And so they're getting on the plane and they sit down and about an hour into the flight he turns to her and he says so whatever happened with that laptop and she's like I felt cornered I couldn't go anywhere she goes I finally confessed my foolishness dreading the inevitable response but as soon as I told Spencer about my mistake a strange thing happened the enemy I had turned him into evaporated evaporated Spencer turned into Spencer again, my teasing but deeply empathetic buddy. And she goes on to say, as embarrassed as I was about my eBay error, I felt even dumber about the way I allowed my shame to distort my perception of a best friend. If my hand had not been forced, I would have remained estranged from him probably indefinitely. And she goes, I've always considered myself perceptive, but the longer I live, the more I discovered that my susceptibility to misinterpretation. And that's, again, that pathway came about from her own shame over an incident. And really that was what was coloring her view of her friend. But how easy is it for us to fall out of that mindset of love believes all things? Thinking the best of the person rather than assuming the worst. I think a lot of times we think we have discernment. Oh, we know. We know what they're going to say. We know what's going to happen. Why? Well, in the past, sometimes maybe that has happened. But we dare not assume it because we're not omniscient. We're not God. And he's loved us. And by his grace, we can love others because he first loved us. And part of what that means is we're gonna think the best of those around us. So love believes all things. Uh, love also hopes all things. And 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 this is a um, not not sort of a pie in the sky optimism. We, we use that hope. Uh, we've we've twisted it in, in modern usage to kind of be, gee, fingers crossed, I really hope this happens. That's not what hope is in the Bible. Hope is a sure thing that comes from knowing who God is, what God's done, what God's promised, and resting anchored in that reality so that we look to the future with not a naive optimism, but a realistic optimism. Hope looks forward. And so there's a confidence in God's triumph in Christ that hope has. And, and that also means it, it, that we're not given to simply uh, look at the times we're in now and just kind of paint them as everything's great. No, part of what hope is, is hope says, it, it's hard right now, but I'm looking forward. It's challenging. I'm, 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 I'm struggling right now. There's a candor and honesty, and yet I'm looking ahead knowing that God has a purpose. He's taking me through this for his good purposes. Suffering isn't aimless, is not purposeless. It's in in God's hands in my life. So there's a confidence that looks forward to that. So love love hopes all things. And then he concludes with love endures all things. And uh, it means to persevere. It, It means steadfastness. It means that there's a, uh, strength it, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the soldier in the midst of the fight who's not going to be dismayed he's going to continue on it's, it's someone who uh, is not going to abandon is not going to quit or leave and that's what love does it endures all things now Paul's going to reference this in the next section to show how love actually endures beyond the use of spiritual gifts That's going to be his next thought. But certainly we would also see it as extending beyond and through our lives. God's love for us is secure. Jesus has shown that. He demonstrated his love for us, we're told, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're told that we have hope in Christ. We've been anchored in Jesus, in that hope. Uh, We've been been told, we've been chosen by God. We have an inheritance from God. We've been adopted by God. We've been redeemed by God. God's put the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. These are all sure things, and God is carrying us through into eternity. And that's, that's the way love is supremely above all things. And love is is what brings about fruit in our lives. And love is the one thing that causes us to overcome within us our idols, our inner idols. Love also overcomes when others sin against us and love overcomes ultimately absolutely everything. But the question is now, how do we grow? How do we grow in this? How can we live in a different way? We've seen it happens because of God's love for us. We've seen it happens in community amongst God's people. And especially in light of the, the, the description we just heard today, it happens as we, as sinful people, live amongst other sinful people. Especially as we encounter being provoked. As we encounter being sinned against. It happens in friendships. It happens in families. We learn to love more in those situations. And sometimes it can especially happen between parents and children. And the author Paul Tripp shares something of what happened with his teenage son. You see, what had happened was his, his son asked to spend a weekend at a friend's house. And so Paul talks to his wife. They agree, yeah, you can go. Absolutely, you can go. You know, enjoy. Have, have a good time. And, uh, and so during that weekend, Paul got a call from his friend's mom informing him that Paul's son was not, in fact, at their home. And her son had felt guilty for covering it up. And so he had talked to his mom. And so Paul brought this news to his wife. And, and he describes it this way. Luella could feel my anger. And she said, I think you need to pray. I said, I don't think I can pray for him right now. She said, I didn't mean for you to pray for him. I think you need to pray for you. And then he goes on. So I went to the bedroom to pray for God's help. And it hit me. Because of his love, God had already begun a work of rescue in my son's life. God was the one who had pressed in on the conscience of my son's friend, causing him to confess to his mom. God was the one who gave her the courage to make the difficult call to me. And God was the one giving me time to get a hold of myself before my son came home. Now, rather than wanting to rip into my son, I wanted to be a part of what this God of grace was doing in this moment of rebellion, deception, hurt, and disappointment. So the son came home, and uh, Paul gave him a couple of hours to relax on the couch. And then Paul just asked, can we talk? And then uh, Paul said, uh, do you ever think about how much God loves you? to his son. Sometimes he answered, "Do you ever think about how much God's grace operates in your life every day?" His son looked up but didn't speak. "Do you know how much God's grace is working in your life even this weekend?" "Who told you?" his son asked. And Paul said, you've lived your life in the light, you've made good choices, you've been an easy son to parent, but this weekend you took a step toward the darkness. You can live in the darkness if you want. You can learn to lie and deceive, you can use your friends as your cover, you can step over God's boundaries, or you can determine to live in God's light. I'm pleading with you, don't live in the darkness, live in the light. Paul goes on to say as I turned to walk away I heard his voice from behind me saying dad don't go as I turned around with tears in his eyes he said dad I want to live in the light but it's so hard will you help me that is love in action This unearthly love from a dad to a son only comes as the Holy Spirit empowers a prayerfully desperate dad to live out the love he has received. It comes from the Savior who first loved him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that, again, by your grace, you would help us to see to what it means to live out this above all things love. We thank you that you first loved us. We, we ask that by your grace, you would um, enable us by your spirit to each and every moment walk in this love. Um, it's not what we've heard all our lives. It's not what our culture teaches us. It is profoundly different. It frees us from so many different idols and errors and destructive ways. And Lord, it causes others to know that we're your people. And it causes others to see their need for you. So please do that amongst us, we ask, throughout this week ahead. And certainly as we gather with one another, may we love one another as you've loved us. We ask this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.